Well, good morning. I um, need to tell you something about myself, and that is I love routine. Each morning, I shower. And after I'm done showering, I follow the same pattern of shaving, well, not every day, but putting on deodorant, combing my hair, applying product to my hair, getting dressed, letting out the, the dog, he's still there, <laughs> feeding the dog, having my breakfast. Routines are, are good. They bring order and structure. They ensure that things get done correctly. Imagine if a baker decided to wing it someday, making flour, or sorry, making cookies or bread, and decided, I don't feel like using flour. Or red lights in some cities meant go. Or surgical teams every now and again felt like just winging a surgery. Maybe we don't want to wash our hands and scrub up. So we need rituals, we need routines. On the other hand, routine and ritual can sometimes be negative and, and even destructive. I may or may not be about to tell you something about myself. Your doctor says your cholesterol is high and you still want to keep eating chocolate-dipped donuts at Tim Hortons, which are loaded with not just saturated fat, but trans fat. Yeah. Maybe your car needs to be repaired because the engine light is on, but you're too busy with your usual responsibilities to get it fixed. Well, today I want to look at two passages where routine and ritual were not necessarily a positive thing as Jesus encountered opposition in his ministry. And I want to look at two stories from the Gospel of Mark, and I'm not, I don't have any PowerPoint today. I want to try and recreate them through, uh, well, it's not going to be a dramatic retelling, but it'll be a retelling nonetheless. That was meant to be funny, but that are actually misunderstood. These stories are actually misunderstood uh, because of the, our English translations of our Bibles have labeled both of these stories in a certain way, which suggests that they're kind of positive and quite hopeful. So the first one that we're going to look at is the triumphal entry. The second one that we're going to look at is the cleansing of the temple. Now, if you have an NIV Bible, typically they're labeled as that in there. Um, but let's have a look at these in a little more detail. Well, the first one. So the triumphal entry, and this is really the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And of course, we're in the season of Lent heading to Holy Week in about five weeks from now, six weeks from now, where uh, the ministry of Jesus really begins to ramp up in terms of sustained opposition towards him. But the first entry into Jerusalem and the place where he's going to be crucified, it begins with this triumphal entry. And so Jesus gives his instructions. He says, go on ahead into Bethany and you're going to find a colt tied up there and I want you to go get that colt. And, and if somebody says to you, why are you untying that colt? Because it's not yours. Uh, say to them, I'm untying it because the Lord has need of it. Sure enough, the disciples go and they find this colt tied up and said, what are you doing? And they're like, we need it because the Lord says he needs it. Okay, so, and there's a reason for that, but we will not get into that right now, and 
it was not an uncommon thing. So anyway, away they went with the cult back to Jesus. And we see that the disciples and the crowds gathering around Jesus, because he always had quite a following. I'm going to step out from behind the pulpit, but I don't. It took me seven years in my teaching to actually move beyond my lectern to get out into no man's land here, but uh, I'm going to try it. So, the disciples have this colt, and, uh, and they lay their garments on the top of it, and they lay garments and coats as they're heading into Jerusalem from Bethany, lay them on the ground in leafy green branches, and this is the triumphal entry, right? And they're shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So that actually sounds quite triumphal, isn't it? I mean, it's a kind of a, a procession of sorts, a, a ceremony, a ritual that the disciples and the followers of Jesus are engaging in. But if you lived in the first century, I'm going to go a little further, you would know that there's something missing from this, this ritual. And that is, I don't know if any of you had any, uh, have studied theology or so forth, but the, the Greek name for the second coming of Jesus is the parousia. And the parousia is just a word that means uh, entering in, coming, visiting. And, and that Greek word meant, was used to describe when dignitaries and royal figures would come to visit a city. And so Jesus comes as the King of Israel, the Messiah, to Jerusalem, which is the place where the temple lives and where it's God's city dedicated, dedicated to Him. He comes as the Messiah, and as He's coming into the city, the multitudes recognize it, but the religious leaders do not. And, and there are historical references, lots of them, about the processionary activity that would accompany a royal dignitary coming to a city who has dominion over that city. And it would involve the leaders of the city coming out to greet that person. Remember when Will and Kate came to Calgary several years ago? I mean, it's not like they just showed up on an Air Canada flight and got off the plane and walked through the, you know, the airport and they caught a taxi downtown. No, they were rolling out the red carpet. So this business of greeting dignitaries is age old. And, and back to biblical times. And so the religious leaders don't show up. And Jesus, when he goes to the temple, it says in Mark 11, 12 and chapter 11, he just merely looks around and then leaves. People who live in that day would know what in the wide world is going on. Now, our, our English translators, the people that have given you the modern translations of Scripture, for whatever reason, missed that key point and have labeled this as triumphal. But it's anything but triumphal. It's, it's, it's a, a mark of rebellion, of rejection of Jesus' messianic authority over Jerusalem. So we're off to a really bad start. But it continues on, that's enough now, it continues on <laughs> into the next narrative where Jesus comes back the next morning into allegedly cleansing the temple. But what does Jesus do when he first is heading into the, into the temple? He sees this poor little fig tree. And uh, Jesus walks up to the fig tree hoping that it may bear some fruit. 
But only in Mark's gospel. Mark says it wasn't the time for figs. And Jesus looks at the tree and says, Cursed are you, fig tree, for not bearing any fruit. What's happening? Well, you know, when you go fruit, you need some promise of fruit, right? You need buds. Some indication that, that something is going to spring forth that will enable you to have fruit that you can eat. And it's likely that this tree was just grown over, like when I try to grow tomatoes in my garden, overgrown with so much green that the greenery has taken all the nutrients from everything and I get no tomatoes in September and what little I get gets killed by frost at the end. So I'm giving up this year and sodding out the whole thing. We're done with that. And plus I have a dog and he would ravage the whole thing anyway. So we're just going to have nice green grass. So Jesus sees this leafy green fig tree and, and there's no, not even any promise of fruit. So he curses that. So that's not a disconnected little moment from what he's eventually going to do when he walks into the temple, which is overturns the tables of the money changers and prohibits anyone from traveling through the temple. And then he gives the shortest sermon recorded in the history of sermons. My house shall be called the house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it into a den of not robbers. Robbers is like Somebody that walks into 7-Eleven and slips bubblegum into their pocket and walks out without paying for it. That's not what that word means in Greek. It's, a, it's an insurrectionist, a terrorist, a, a brigand, a, a rebel, somebody that is rising up against established authority, in this case against the Lord's authority over his holy city, over his holy temple, and it kind of validates what's implicit in the first narrative where Jesus is not greeted as messianic king by the leaders of Israel. They snub him, and now when he's into the temple, the whole court of the Gentiles, which was meant for people who aren't Israelites, have no, who aren't Israel, have no room to pray. It's been overtaken with commerce, but worse yet, it's run by people who all throughout the ministry of Jesus wanted nothing to do with the things that God was about. He called that religion old wineskins. And when you try to, I know this is foreign language to us Nazarenes, but why is Jesus using such language? But anyway, um, so he, Jesus talks about this, these wineskins, and if you put wine that's still not finished fermenting yet into old wineskins, it's going to burst that wineskin, and it's going to bust it, and the, for Jesus, even losing the wine is really bad, but anyway, anyway so the wine will be lost, and the wineskin will be broken as well. It's like there's an incompatibility between the structure and the ritual and what Judaism has become, and what Jesus represents as the fullest revelation of God. And so when Jesus enters into the heart of this thing, I mean the religious leaders, the elders, the scribes, the chief priests, if you read the Gospel of Mark, they, they have sent representatives from Jerusalem to Galilee, and in one occasion Jesus is setting people free. He's casting out demons. He's proclaiming the Gospel. He's eating with sinners and tax collectors, bringing them into the kingdom of God. And, and their response is, this must be all of the devil. By Belizebul, which is the right translation, not Belizebub. By Belizebul, he's casting out demons. It's like, what? What is happening? 
how could these religious leaders who know the Scriptures so well have gotten it so wrong? And, and the scary part about the whole thing is, is, is their practice of being Israel, which was really, when you look at it in terms of the temple, was all about exclusivity, eliminating those who are unclean, and all about control and power, because the temple was the means by which they preserved their way of being Israel so that they could have a good relationship with Rome, they could have the freedoms and liberties they want, and still to do their thing. When things become about exclusivity and become about power, those rituals and those ways of being are not reflective of the heart of God, but reflective of their own way of being Israel. But since those things became so important to them, they, they when encountered with the very presence of God, chose this as opposed to God. And when we start choosing things that are this and not God, there's a word for that that's found in the Old Testament. Does anybody want to shout it out? Idolatry, right? Idolatry. Putting, finding significance and meaning and identity in things that are not of God. But the, the, it's challenging, it's tricky, because the stuff that Israel is doing, like staying away from that which is unclean, is actually found in the Bible. I mean, it's like right in the book of Leviticus. And here Jesus is hanging out with all these unclean people. But the, the, the problem was, they let their wineskins get a little bit too dried out, and they weren't infused with the living, dynamic presence of God, which should always animate everything that they do. So it's not that all of a sudden being a Christian and following Jesus means that there's no ritual and no tradition and no ways of doing You know, people say, I just, I want a relationship with Jesus, not religion. No, it's not how it works. Because those people that say that, do you believe in something? Well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Okay, good, check. Um, do you do certain things that are related to that belief? Well, yeah, of course. Okay, that's religion. Okay, that term is not a bad thing. That term describes what we're doing. But the question is, for us as the people of God, what does it mean to have a, a tradition, a ritual that is informed by the living presence of God so that these these rituals and traditions are actually serving the heart of God. And the heart of God is, is always about mission, isn't it? God, God doesn't want to stay to himself. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is God in community. And the book of John tells us that, that we, we, we can actually join that community that is as God is in Jesus, Jesus is in God, we can be in Jesus, and Jesus in us, right? God, God is like, has this party going on, best way I can describe it, perichoresis is the Greek word, is, is this thing happening where, where he wants to welcome people into his presence and to be there for the purposes of restoration, of, of wholeness, right? No matter what. So what does it mean for us to, as the church, as this church, as the church generally? 
So in the Church of the Nazarene, we've, we've been around for, well, 100, over 100 years, 1907. I mean, there's, it's kind of a complicated history because there's certain moments when the denomination be, began to build, but let's go with 1907. And uh, so, yeah, uh, 2007, that's right, so we're past that. So 110 plus years, that's a long time. I think that, that it would be totally understandable if, if we as a denomination decided to keep doing the same things because those same things worked. And the thing with new religious movements, that, which we were in the early 1900s, you don't really have a tradition. Like there's tradition from Methodism uh, there, a little bit from Anglicanism and so forth, um, so which that defines our structure. But in terms of the denomination when we first started, it was very much making this thing up as, as we go. And, and, and we see it in our founder, Phineas F. Brzee. He actually got booted out by the Methodists and was just in the dregs of society with the down and outs just being Jesus where he was. And out of that became a movement, but a movement that was characterized by the heart of God, about going to the other. There were people that, Phineas F. Brzee, he, um, because of the types that he hang, hung around with, the Methodists at the time were resisting him, were opposing him, because this is just not proper, it's just not right, it's just not what we do. And so that could lead you to believe, wow, like, is there any hope, is there any... Like, do denominations have a, have a lifespan? And that's just kind of ends. Like, I mean, if you look at Judaism in the time of Jesus, the Judaism that Jesus was a part of had been around for about 200 years. And you'll all fall asleep if I give you the background on that. But anyway, it's called Second Temple Judaism. It had been around for, as you know, we'll go with 200. I know it's a little longer. But anyway, 200 years. And it had become a thing that... that Sabbath, circumcision, food laws became the identity markers is what they were about. But as we see in the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of Paul, those things became idols. Those things became more than the very presence of God and the worship of God. These things gave identity. So, so what is the natural question is, 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 what, is it, what does it mean for us as the people of God to have ritual and routine, because we're going to have it, we just are, because order is how we work, how the universe works, order is good and right, but what does it mean for us as a denomination, as a local church, to always hold how we view ourselves and how we view the things we do under the microscope of, of God's heart, which is mission? It was some people may look at, at these two passages that I looked at and said, well, it's a leadership issue. It's like, come on, Brian. What's, no, it's not a leadership issue. The purpose, and Brian has preached on this before, the purpose of, of leadership is to empower and resource the people of God to be the people of God out there. It's very clear in Ephesians. So, so God's desire as he's developed Israel, and, and as we see in the New Testament church, we are a kingdom of priests, that we are a holy nation, that we are those who mediate the very presence of God wherever we go. 
So us, as, the, as the, the people of God, we want to think corporately as a group. What does it mean for us to, to live out the mission, to live out the heart of God in, in the way we do Sunday morning, the, the way we, for those who are married, live our married lives, live our single lives, live our lives in our jobs. I mean, <laughs> Jen, if you look at uh, our personality profiles... We are kind of different. And uh, Jen, one of her strengths is she's a helper. And, and uh, it's like, bang, like it's the top one. And um, mine is not that. That is way down the bottom. And, um, and, and so, like, she will, you know, if you see somebody at Tim Hortons, oftentimes the Tims uh, we go to, there's somebody, you know, wanting some money or some spare change and things like that. And... Jen will just agonize. How can I help this person? How can it show? She's gotten to know one fellow in particular, heard his story, and is like, Rob, you know, maybe we could have him over, and you can give it, because he's worked in construction, you could give him something to do, and, and, and just, this is on her mind, and, and I just drive by, drive by those guys and don't even think twice about it. So, all that, which is horrible, but all that to say... Uh, we need each other, right? The way in which we live out the mission of God is going to be different for each of us. And, and you know, uh, these personality tests that you can do, the fact that there's so many different results that you can have in different combinations, whether it's the Meyer-Briggs or the Enneagram and these different ones, tells you that there's a lot of different types of people, right? And And... And to think that, that God has made you just the way you are, and He loves who you are. Imagine what it would mean, and to grow into, Lord, given who I am, how do you want to use me to advance your saving purposes, right? And, and maybe it's not about just trying to emulate a certain leader or a certain individual. When organizations tend to focus on one individual as providing the answer all the time and the way forward, when that leader goes, it's sometimes difficult for the people to find their way, right? And we, i give you examples, but I won't anyway. Um, so, so, so it's incumbent upon us, like pastors come and go, but the people of God keep showing up. I'm paraphrasing from the word of the Lord remains, the grass withers, flowers fade. Anyway, you missed it. That's okay. So we as the people of God, right, we are the church. And, and what does it mean for us then to, to establish traditions, routines that are informed by a relationship of God? So a religion of relationship versus a religion of routine, and I want to read you, Jesus, after all of this kind of, oh, this is, you know, sort of heavy and, and Israel isn't getting who he is. Jesus actually, in just a few verses in this Mark 11, tells us briefly what, what really matters to God's heart as we think about being the people of God. And here's what he says, it's just in verse 22, it's three verses. First thing he says after... <laughs> After they left the temple and Peter sees that withered fig tree and he's like, Rabbi, I don't know if it sounds like that, Rabbi, look, 
He kind of sounded like a demon there. Um, Rabbi, that comes in, already happened in chapter 8. Anyway, uh, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. So, so the temple, right, had lots of ritual, had lots of routine and stuff that was going on, and it looked really good, but on the inside, there was no fruit. On the inside, it was actually corrupt and rebellious, worse yet. So, so what is God's heart for us as the people of God? Look what he says, verse 22, have faith in God. That's the language of relationship, isn't it? It's not faith just developing our cognitive abilities and our intellectual understanding of doctrine and theology. That's part of our faith in God, but it's also trust in the living God that, that He knows what He wants to do with us and through us and for us so that we as a church will continue through the ages to be light and life wherever we go. Verse 23, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, what mountain is he talking about? The temple mount. Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. So it's just, again, an illustration and a kind of a dissing on the temple too, because the temple sits on that mount, he's saying, being thrown into the sea, to trust God with our prayers. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received, it will be yours. And when you stand praying, so it's not just about the stuff between us and God, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him or her, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. It always comes back to relationship, doesn't it? Our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, our relationship with one another. Those are the things that are so important to the heart of God. Those are the things that Jesus spends his time focusing on. He draws away to the solitary place to pray. He comes out into public ministry to be with the people that are not like established Israel to to draw them in and to bring them into the presence of God so they may receive the blessing of God and all that God has for them. And then he, with his disciples and with some of these, there's 70 of them in Luke, sends them out to participate in the mission that Jesus has been about. This is what this is all about, just being like Jesus, right? And doing the things that he does under the influence and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, rooted and grounded in his living and written word. So what do you want me to do with all this, Rob? Well... It's, it's very simple, actually, but very, very hard. You know, in, uh, <laughs> if you look at the history of uh, in the holiness movement and so forth, because these guys were kind of waiting girls, because lots of women involved in the formation of our denomination. When you look at it, um, these, these people were, were trying to figure out the best ways to connect with the culture around them. That's why a lot of our hymns are set to 19th century bar tunes. And some of you know that. But the question we need to ask ourselves, given that we don't live in the 19th century anymore, well, what what does worship look like in a culture that, boy, (laughs) even in the last 10, 20 years has even changed from what it was 20 years ago? I've realized that, that I can't even teach 
the same way that I've taught 10 years ago to college students. I'm a professor, for those of you who don't know me, I can't teach the same way. It turns out that no matter how I awesome I think my lecture is, um, it, it don't matter. They're still really bored if I get up and, and talking about what I think are just awesome, detailed ideas from the biblical text. I'm like, I am just amazed how bored you look right now. Not you, but them. And so, so I have to help them see why everything that I say matters. But I think that's kind of, there's a sense in which that's inherently true and has been for quite some time. If, if, if we don't see how the stuff of Scripture matters in our lives, it's like, okay, Sunday morning, great, and just, boop, there it is, and I'm just going to go back to, no. So this is why we need this living, dynamic relationship with God, so that the Spirit of God helps us see why this matters. So that we're living this thing out daily and just, just can't get away from it. So, I got in a tangent there. So, back to what do you want me to do with this? So, what we do with this is easy in one hand, on the one hand, but it's very difficult on the other. And it was for the adversaries of Jesus. I'm not saying you're adversaries of Jesus. Don't hear me on this. But it's true. Us church people, we tend to identify with the sinners and tax collectors and not with the religious leaders. And we shouldn't do that because we're good and religious too. So, how can, anyway, that maybe is a sermon for another day, but um, so how do, how do we appropriate this? Well, it's repentance. Did you know Jesus, when he came preaching a message of the gospel, his first word was repent, and the people he was speaking to were not pagan Gentiles. They were church people, right? They were people who, who knew the stuff but it needed to see what in Jesus' ministry is not aligning with what, how they thought God always worked. And if they were going to join Jesus in what he is about, there would be certain things that they would need to leave behind and repent of. So we don't think of repentance as turning from sin. It's just repentance is, is thinking differently about something. That's what the Greek word means. And, and, and changing the way, based on because we're thinking differently, changing the way that we live. That's repentance. Thinking differently, living differently. And so the religious leaders did not accept his message of repentance. But do you know when, when groups of people repent and come together, the Spirit of God releases itself. Because in the book of Acts, whenever Peter preaches that message... You know, your sons and daughters will prophesy and so forth, and both you crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, and he rose again, God vindicated him, it's all in Acts chapter 2, and, 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 and Luke says, and the people were cut to the heart, and they asked, what should we do? What does Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, and, you, and receive the Holy Spirit. But the repentance always precedes the movement of God the Spirit of God. So we just need to look at what do we do as a church? What do we do as in our own individual lives? And what needs to change that, that, that would inhibit the presence of God? So it's not a case of, oh, yes, everything we've done and everything I've been is wrong. No, not at all, right? 
we're all here. You wouldn't show up if you weren't like believing any of this stuff. No, it, it's a case of what is the more, right? What is the more that God has for me, and, and, and how can I receive that? How can I step into that? And so, so it's repenting. It's thinking differently about the way that we may have done something. It's, it's thinking differently about the way that we might have thought about some things. Those, those thoughts and actions, that's a metaphor that runs throughout scriptures. Eyes to see and ears to hear, right? Where is God working? So I don't know how you hear this or, or what this might mean uh, for you this morning, but it, but it may take some time of reflection. And, and we're in the period of Lent, Right? where Jesus is, is incessantly running up against people who refuse to repent. And that's what led to his crucifixion. But, but that's not us. We're, we're team Jesus. We're, we, we desire to be followers of Jesus. But we also have a fallen sin nature that, that sometimes takes stuff that is like really comfortable and safe and just like that sometimes becomes more important. And, and that's the stuff where we want the Spirit of God to shine the light of His presence into our hearts. We want the light of God to be shone into our minds. We need this. We're too fallen to figure this stuff out on our own. We need the presence of God to show us the things as a corporate body, as individuals. What is it, Lord, that, that, that keeps us from receiving the more? And that takes time. That, that takes processing. Sometimes it doesn't, though. And, and so we want to make some time for prayer this morning, just to receive. And, and, uh, and I realize, too, with, with the, the news that we as a community are working through with, with Evelyn's passing, that's still on our minds, but, but we also want to, uh, to think about these other things as well. So it's just, I want to open up the altars for, for all of the above. And, and we have a prayer team over on this side that would love to come and, and pray with you, and not just to pray with you, but to listen for God's voice. Because at the foundation of this is, is, is ritual and tradition formed and shaped and empowered by the Holy Spirit and by the written Word of God. Let me pray. As the worship team comes, please... Lord, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for your presence in this community. I thank you for just your, your character, God. You, you minister to us no matter where we are. And this, Lord, this time, Lord, we come uh, to, and as Brian has said, Lord, just continue to, to minister your comfort to us and to the Roys in these days. And also, Lord, we've, this morning we've been thinking about some things in, in your word about what it means to be faithful followers of you and to live in ways that are reflective of the, the mission of God, of the, of the heart of God. And so, Lord, would you speak to me personally? Rob Snow, would you speak to me? Because there are things in my own life, Lord, that, that, that I, I lay before you now that... that Get in the way of, of your mission, Lord, and, 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 and I repent of those things. And so, God, would you, would you speak to, to my brothers and sisters, to us as a church, Lord? What are the things, God, that you would have us um, turn from that would release 
your spirit in those areas so that we would see you move, that we would see lives changed even more, God, that you would walk and move amongst us. So God, I I thank you for this church community. I am blessed by this church community, and I pray more of your blessing upon this church community as we seek to really take seriously that great commission to go and make disciples of all nations and to have our, our, our church congregation where there's new faces every Sunday. And, and there are here, but we want more, Lord. Let us be greedy about the things of the kingdom of God that more would come to know you, more would come to know you through our individual lives, that more would come to know you through us as a church. And it's all for your glory, Lord. May you just be honored by everything that is said and done here this morning. And just come and be with us in these moments of prayer and as the the worship team leads us in in a final song. Amen. Please uh, stand with us again uh, for a final song to align our hearts for worship.